It's important to know. Dark Days of Dorothy Gale is solely a reimagining of the novel The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, and not the 1939 film or any other iteration of the story. Dark Days of Dorothy Gale Aftermath For Episodes 24 and 24-2 Chapter 34 of Dark Days of Dorothy Gale The Humbug And Chapter 15 of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz The Discovery of Oz the Terrible Hello? Anybody here? Ah, you are here. Awesome. Thanks for coming back. We've got some stuff to talk about this week, so... Right this way. The title of this week's chapter of Dark Days of Dorothy Gale, The Humbug, is a direct reference to this week's Wizard of Oz chapter. This week, we finally see the so-called wizard for what he really is. A fraud. We also get a name, a home state, and one of the potentially most egregious and offensive things in the book. Something I didn't feel terrible about when I wrote it many years ago, but have come around to somewhat regret as I've matured and grown. If you didn't catch what it was, then, well, okay. If you're a Mormon, well, I apologize. And you definitely won't like what happens in the sequel. And if I'm not making any sense to you right now, don't worry. It'll all come together in a minute. Dorothy sets the winged monkeys free telling them they're all good, all even-steven. I like the idea that these two colorless monkeys are so indebted and thankful to her that they await further instructions. Seems kind of silly for Dorothy to send them on their way, though, doesn't it? Seems like they could be pretty useful, nice to have around. She sets them free for two main reasons. One... She is assuming she's about to be sent home, so she doesn't really need them anymore. And two, she's kind and benevolent and ultimately forgiving. Despite her previous interactions with them, almost being raped by them, something that I would certainly consider to be unforgivable, and then scolding them for leaving her in the desert, She doesn't want to ask too much of them or take advantage. She knows, like her, they've been through a lot and deserve to move on with their lives. After being fitted with the goggles, they are escorted once again to the Green Palace. Dorothy eats, bathes, and reads. That detail seems unnecessary but it's in there no less. 
Mister partakes in a little bit of food himself, though it doesn't do him any good to eat. I like to think he just wants to feel like a real person every once in a while. Ultimately, though, he does a very bomb-inspired thing and just lays down flat on his back and stares blankly at the ceiling all night long. The lion, on the other hand, <laughs> oh, he goes to town on that food and sleeps like a rock, like a lion do. Once they arrive at the throne room the next day, they find it empty. Dorothy is not super surprised or shocked by this. She just kind of imagines the wizard as being the kind of guy that likes to be fashionably late or make some sort of a grand entrance. Or, I guess, in this case, both. We get the iconic cloud of smoke here. Of course, something goes wrong, something has to go wrong. The smoke dissipates, and all we are left with is a man shouting profanity at his broken smoke machine. In my head, I always imagined my wizard as Lewis Black, one of my all-time favorite comedians. Which would be great, not only because he's famous for his temper and outrage, but oddly fitting for his thoughts on religion and the Mormon faith in particular. I know, I know, if you haven't figured it out yet, the Mormon thing, it's going to make sense very shortly, I promise. Just hold on a bit longer. I can't do a good Lewis Black impression. And suddenly I'm getting a strange sense of deja vu here. Did I go over some of this in the... Chapter 17, Aftermath? Hmm. Somewhere around there, I think I did. Anyway, I can't do that impression. I didn't fixate on trying to nail the same voice from that earlier episode, mostly because I couldn't remember what voice I used, but a little bit because this meeting with the wizard is vastly different. He's no longer putting on a show. So for this... I went with a voice inspired by the late, great Brian Cox. No, no, Brian Cox is not dead. At least, not at the time of this recording, and hopefully not for a very long time. But I had you going, didn't I? <laughs> You're probably sitting there asking yourself, Is Brian Cox dead? Did, did Brian Cox die? Or maybe you're sitting there asking yourself, who is Brian Cox? Either way, there's a slight chance you picked up your phone and Googled his name. And if you did, haha, <laughs> gotcha. Anyway, not an impression, just inspired by him. There's a bit of my Nixon-esque Larian voice in there as well. Once the jig is up, he takes the glasses off Dorothy and reveals that everything in the Emerald City is white. Or at least, a lot of it is white. He explains the Emerald City is nothing but a mere hoax. A shiny magic trick. Smoke and mirrors. The line, smoke and mirrors, is a reference to the IT crowd, where Moss creates the perfect bra, which, of course, is not perfect. There are four shows in this world that I never 
get tired of watching, no matter how many times I watch them. News Radio, King of the Hill, Coach, and the IT crowd. And so, you can always depend on me to reference at least one of those shows. Though, Coach references, for some reason, seem to be a little bit harder to wedge into my writing and commentary. Anyway, the wizard tells Dorothy his name is actually Joseph. He's from Utah, arrived in Oz at the young age of 38, and has been in Oz for an estimated 170 years. When I first wrote this chapter in 2014, that would have meant Joseph left Utah in 1844. It's probably too late to say long story short, but in short, Joseph in Dark Days of Dorothy Gale is indeed Joseph Smith, founder of the Mormon religion. When I wrote this, I thought it would be humorous if the wizard was the founder of the Mormon faith. I wasn't necessarily going for edgy, a term which I hate, or offensive. I wasn't really giving it that much thought. And in retrospect, that seems like the kind of garbage Kevin Smith might write. Ugh, a thought that truly upsets me. If I was writing this book for the first time today... Would I use Joseph Smith? Probably not. I wouldn't use the founder of a legitimately recognized world religion. I would probably go with a cult leader like Jim Jones or maybe even Marshall Applewhite. Probably Jim Jones, though. Honestly, Jones might fit much better in this world anyways. I'm not trying to push any kind of belief on anyone. I'm not trying to invalidate anyone's religion or make anyone feel bad for what they believe in, that was never my intention. I've grown since the writing of this book, and while I might not be the most religious fella out there, and I'm certainly not the first person to poke fun at the Mormon faith, or Joseph Smith for that matter, I do actually feel kind of bad for this. Not so bad that I'm going to immediately rewrite the book at this very moment or make sweeping changes to the sequel, as Joseph is a very integral part of Darker Days, but I do feel bad. I guess take that more or less non-apology for what it's worth. If we aren't going to call it an apology because it really actually wasn't, then at the very least, let's call it an acknowledgement of my immaturity. Anyway, blasphemy I know, Joseph is apparently a very heavy drinker. I tried my best to slur my speech and make it more sloppy the further the chapter went on. Did I succeed? Well, that's probably a matter of opinion, and entirely up to you, my dear listener. My math is actually off here. I wasn't looking incredibly far ahead when I wrote this. I always imagined Dorothy as being somewhere between 18 and 22 or 23 or, I don't know, just somewhere in her early 20s. She's born Tuesday, March 30th, 1999, and we'll learn that a little bit later. 
but that would mean that in 2014, she would only be 15 years old. I never noticed how flawed my math was, until I started writing this Aftermath episode. So, if she's 18, that means Joseph has been hanging around for at least 173 years. Not 170. Right? I think that's right. Dorothy would be 18 in 2017. 2017 is 173 years from 1884, when Joseph Smith was killed. <sighs> Good lord. Did, did any of that make sense? I don't know. It, it's a pretty tangled mess, and I apologize. In the sequel, I cement a lot of important dates into a pretty rigid timeline. In fact, most chapters in Darker Days are labeled with dates and time frames. Every chapter that takes place outside of Oz has a very specific date. Anyway, moving on. He explains that everything he's been credited with has been coincidental, lucky, or luckily coincidental. The Greys only became Grey because Krista and Mombi took all the emeralds. Krista couldn't commit suicide because witches just can't commit suicide. Though she probably could have melted herself if she was that into the idea. So maybe Krista was a cutter? No, she wasn't. I'm not saying she was. I wasn't trying to make a statement with her, I promise. And I'm not making light of people that cut either. I know that's a serious problem. I probably just shouldn't even have made the reference. Anyway, she wasn't even aware of this weird rule. He gives Dorothy a long-winded analogy involving a door and a fire. It's pretty ridiculous, but remember, he's pretty sloshed by now. But still, imagine a door that locks from the outside. So if there's a fire on the inside, everyone would die a horrible, fiery death. Gruesome, I know. He does mention, however, that Dorothy's ring and bracelet are more than likely pieces of the last emeralds. I never go into detail of how their powers came to be. He also points out that Munchkins, not the best historians. They oftentimes get their facts wrong. Wrong. They get them wrong. Anyway, Dorothy resigns to the idea that she is now a permanent resident in the palace. She gives Joseph the book she received from Lothor earlier on, and upon discovering it was from Lothor, he effectively sobers up and decides he wants nothing to do with it, and has absolutely no use for it. However, Dorothy might have a use for it. You see, there's a third witch out there. One that might, just might, be able to help her get back home. If she delivers the book. And this, of course, ends this portion of Masterpiece Theater. Dark Days of Dorothy Gale. I don't know why I did that voice, I'm sorry. Anyway, the next chapter is literally 
the end of part one. It's super short and has virtually no plot. Not even virtually no plot, it has no plot. But I still wouldn't call it unnecessary. At least, not unnecessary in the sense of that canyon chapter a while back. This week's chapter of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz is the discovery of Oz the Terrible. The Dark Days chapter is a fairly straightforward adaptation this week. The wizard tries to impress his travelers and intimidate them with his voice. He darn near calls himself a god. He says he's everywhere and invisible to mere mortals. <laughs> Something to that effect. When the screen he is hiding behind accidentally gets knocked over, he's revealed to be an old man. I like to picture Bob Newhart myself. And all you youngsters out there, Google him. He tells Dorothy he's a ballooning ventriloquist from Omaha, Nebraska. Ugh. He might be better off in Oz. Sheesh. He explains that he was in a hot air balloon that got caught up by some strong winds above the clouds. And the next thing he knew, he was floating over this beautiful new land. He tells them that when he landed, everyone thought he must be some kind of powerful wizard. And so he went with it. So far, I'm pretty on track with his adaptation, aren't I? Maybe? Kinda? Sorta? He says the witches were afraid of him, so they helped him build the city. Yeah, that sounds about right. He also says he's been living in constant fear that the witches would figure out that they could take him in a fight. Okay, so that's not necessarily the reason behind Joseph wanting them dead. In fact, I never really got into his motives there, did I? He explains the spectacles are really what makes everything in the Emerald City green, a detail that I chose to keep as well. Admits to Dorothy he can't keep his promise. Got that. He even explains how he created his illusions to fool them. I didn't really tackle that issue too well, though. Anyway, everyone is pretty upset, and understandably so. They even resort to name-calling. You, humbug! Ooh, strong words. You know, I can't believe they didn't go all out and call him a nincompoop. Ooh, ugh, sorry. Pardon my French. I hate to have to slap a explicit tag on this episode, but, you know, sometimes you just gotta do what you gotta do. Still, everyone wants what they're owed. They're all kind of selfish, really, when you get right down to it. The Scarecrow still wants his brains, and the wizard's all like, Listen, dummy, all you's needs is experience. The Scarecrow is just like a baby in that respect. Kind of dumb. Because like a baby, he just doesn't know how to properly think. The Tin Woodman still wants a heart, and the Lion still wants his courage. The wizard really doesn't seem to understand why anyone would want a heart. Hearts make people sad. As for the lion, he's pretty courageous as it is. Courage is not backing down when you're afraid. Still, 
the woodman is cool with heartache and possible cardiovascular issues later in life, and the lion would just prefer to forget he's afraid of stuff. Dorothy, of course, still wants to go home. He tells them that he will see what they can do. But for the time being, they are welcome to stay in the palace as his guests. <sighs> so there you have it. Blasphemy, trickery, smoke and mirrors, and an apology that some might call not an apology or half-hearted or at the very least an acknowledgement. If I missed something or didn't address something you thought I should have, go ahead and hit me up on Twitter. It's at DarkDorothyG. You can also email me at DarkDaysOfDorothyGale at Outlook.com. I'm always open to questions and constructive criticism. If you're still hanging around, I appreciate it. If you're planning on coming back for more, I appreciate that as well. And speaking of coming back for more, come back next week for a less-than-exciting installment of Dark Days of Dorothy Gale. I'll be reading Intermission. Sorry, Mom. Seriously, it's super short, and doesn't advance the story in any way. Chapter 16 of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, however... The Magic Art of the Great Humbug. That's a super fun chapter, and I'm pretty excited for it. So come back for that at the very least. Also, the usual aftermath. And with that, I bid you farewell until next time. Thanks for listening. I love you all. <laughs> <laughs>